Howdy, Ags. Welcome back to Aggie Growth Hacks, the podcast sponsored by the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M that is dedicated to highlighting fast-growing Aggie entrepreneurs, learning how they overcame growth challenges with creative hacks, and connecting them with other Aggie entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Greg Martin, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2001. And I'm your co-host, Chris Hunter, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 1998. Well, we got a little story for you, Ags. Robert Davis, CEO of Critical Start and Fighting Tech's A class of 1990, believes that it is imperative to know the difference between communication and collaboration. Finding ways to make sure that his team is collaborative in everything that they do has made Critical Start the leader in the cybersecurity industry. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. We are excited to meet you and learn from you and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with us. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. Awesome. Well, Robert, tell us, what is your number one memory about being at Texas A&M? You want number one from best. So if I go number one (laughs) memory, it's probably a little bit different in that I spent probably my whole entire uh, A&M history playing basketball under Kyle Field, the old rec center. Used to be there before they tore it down. Yeah. And playing basketball there and going up for a layup and some guy wanted to block me and I dunked over him. And it's kind of fun because uh, he wasn't expecting a white guy that was six foot tall to, to dunk over him. Nice. <laughs> so so I, I enjoyed that. But uh, other memories, probably just all the great football games. Uh, probably number one, in the, I was there 86 to 90. Uh, in 88, we played Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, the you know fearsome Tim Brown uh, was the wide receiver, Heisman winner. I just remember just shellacking those guys in the Cotton Bowl and, and seeing the kind of uh, wrecking crew like grab his towel and run yeah. off with it. That was awesome <laughs> to watch. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about your company, Critical Start, and you know how did you start it? How did you get into it? And what do you do? So what we do is pretty simple, but I can go into how we started it. Uh, very simply, no organization today wants to be the victim of a cybersecurity attack. When you look at uh, Equifax and, and Target and all these large companies that have breaches, it cost them literally billions of dollars. And the CEOs of both those organizations lost their jobs. Not just the IT department or the security guy, the CEO got fired. Uh, so, so very, very serious. Uh, what we do is we're the most effective provider of managed detection response services. We help manage the process of de- detecting cybersecurity attacks and responding to them. We prevent breaches by resolving every security alert and stop those cyber attacks before they become a breach. So other providers do this are good. We're just better. When you look at kind of how we started, I was an executive at a cybersecurity company, RSA, and been there 14 years. I guess I couldn't get another job. And honestly, just kind of got bored. I mean, I looked at my boss. I didn't want his job. And, you know, also uh, at the time, I was part of a, a breach that we had. And I thought, hey, you know, I think I can start a company to help organizations do a better job at not getting breached themselves. And that kind of the passion for that, thinking I could just do it better than providers out there, kind of it led me about nine years ago, 2012, to kind of quit, uh, take all the money I had and uh, try to start the company. And, you know, had a few tense moments, but hey, nine years later, uh, here I am. And, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, well over $100 million in revenue and, you know, a lot to, t- to talk about it. Nice. That's fantastic. So, so you started, um, you said you started in 2012? Correct. Yeah. So, okay. So, so the world had kind of come out of, you know, crawled out of the 2008 recession, starting to get their engine rolling again. And as they're humming, you know, I remember hearing, you know, about the, the IRS, Target, all these huge companies that have these mega breaches. So that that was probably a really good time for you to be able to start sit, telling your story. And obviously, you, you've done well and built a great team and a great company. Yeah, say every successful entrepreneur, there's an uh, element of hard work, but you know, hey, uh, where, you know, preparation meets luck. 
is where you want to be. So timing is always critical in any successful organization. So Robert, you've grown extremely fast in the, in the past nine years and you've grown, grown a lot. So not counting this past year, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit, but 2020 was a crazy year for everybody. But if, if you kind of look back historically, what has been your biggest challenge that you and Critical Start have had to growth and, and how have you hacked it? So I think the hardest part is scaling an organization, which everybody says, oh, that's really, really hard. And it's one of those things like like every pithy, uh, you know, wise saying, like, Someone can tell it to you and you can tell it to your kids, but to actually go through the pain of it, you don't really know what it means. And what's interesting is when you start off an organization early on, I mean, you know, hey, I was uh, looking for ways to save a buck. If I could do something myself to save a few dollars, then I was doing it. And at different parts of your organ uh, of your trajectory, uh, sometimes you have more time and sometimes you have more money. And it's really difficult in the beginning when you're just bootstrapped, you have no money. I mean, you're trying to do everything you can to save every penny just to make payroll and stay around for one more month. Uh, that as you have success, uh, all of a sudden you go to a point where now you're generating money, uh, you're profitable, you have cash in the bank, uh, you're really starting to grow. Is to make that mental shift to, okay, I have money now, but I don't have time. So the opportunity cost of making mistakes and not having the right talent are enormous. Uh, for me, where we are now, like what I don't want are what I call uh, non-novel mistakes, uh, which means. Uh, a novel mistake is something that nobody could foresee. Like we're doing something okay. new, something cool, a new endeavor. We're going to make a mistake, but we're going to make a mistake because of ignorance. We're not going to make it because of lack of expertise. We don't have people that have you know a history in putting in these types of systems or making these decisions. And that becomes really important to recognize that most companies have a lot of talent, but what they do is try to uh, cut costs by hiring talent people that don't have you know the five, ten, twenty years of experience. When you get to a certain size, certain trajectory, you need to bring in not just talent, plus people that have the expertise because they're not going to make the mistakes uh, that someone is brand new. So I want to make non, I want to make novel mistakes. I want to bring new mistakes. I don't want to repeat mistakes that an experienced executive would know not to even go to that path. But then don't you have to have internally, don't you have to be constantly talking to your junior employees, you know, training them up not only in their technical expertise, but in their critical thinking skills and be able to say, okay, here, you need to learn from this and uh, you give them a little bit of rope, but not enough to hurt themselves or yourself. Yeah, definitely critical thing skills. But the biggest thing I tell people is where we are now, like I have the money to hire very talented people. And I said, so when you hire somebody, it should be the best person you can hire. So for example, just because someone internally could do the job, I mean, that's not the criteria. Who is the best at doing this job? If that person's internal, great then hire someone internally. But I want you to look at candidates across North America and hire the very best person that we can afford. And also when you hire somebody, if they can't do something much better than you, uh, if they don't bring something net new to the organization you're excited about, then don't hire them. And that's kind of a mindset shift for for a lot of uh, new managers and executives. Wow. Thanks so much. That's, that is gold right there. So we all know that the past year has just been a huge challenge for every single business out there. Um, and if if you haven't had a challenge in the past year because of COVID, I think that's good for you. But knowing that it's been a huge challenge for everyone, what challenges have you had to overcome in this past year for Critical Start? So to me, the, the biggest challenges were how to effectively work cross-functionally. If you got an organization that was all together working in, out of the same office and just moved remote, those relationships still exist. And so you have that relationships, uh, trust, uh, that kind of can lubricate 
you know, events that cause friction, disagreements, differences, perspective, people trust each other. But as you go on, that actually decreased over time. As you onboard new people, and we're still hiring throughout the whole entire COVID period pretty rapidly, you know, those new people don't have time to build that trust. And what I saw was a, a breakdown in cross-functional problem solving, and it started to really impact the quality across multiple areas. So it was really understanding for me that the first time to really realize this, the difference between communication and collaboration. And so we had uh, Zoom and we had Teams, we had all these different tools we've been using for quite a while, but we're using it for communication, you know, basically as a proxy for uh, being in person, talking to somebody. So just a fancy way to have a meeting. And that, that's good. What you realize is it's not collaboration. Where collaboration is more defined, it's not communication. Uh, collaboration involves communication, but really is about accomplishing a goal. You know, there's an objective to collaboration. You're actually going to achieve and accomplish something. And we had mastered the collaboration skills. We had to go through just a massive effort to train people and all these tools that they knew pretty well. But there's all this functionality in these tools in regards to collaboration that we hadn't really been used. So we had to go through and figure out one, what the problem was, then create a training program to help teach people to collaborate remotely over that time period. And even with all of that, what's interesting is as you come back, you know, they say, why are we coming back? And it really haven't explained people that, hey, as an organization, you guys did the best that I could have asked. I could not have asked for anything more from you, your performance, your dedication, the work ethic over the last year uh, and, and a few months. But don't confuse doing the best you could with doing the best as possible. And yes. that's the reason we're going to really, you know, come back is yes, you guys did all I could have asked for, but you know, you do the best you could have under the circumstances, but there is definitely a drop off in, in problem solving and, uh, you know, new functionality and uh, new things moving the company forward. I could see the drop off dramatically is impacting our customers a little bit is impacting new initiatives a little bit. We didn't do the best that was possible if we could all work together a lot more closely. If I'm hearing you correctly, having the water cooler talk, having the just, you know, the, the offhanded comments to be able to build that trust and really bring people together. That was something that, that you saw that was missing. And so you, you said you actually developed training around how to do that in a remote environment. Was that training that you guys developed in-house? Did you bring an expert in? How did you... We developed that in-house. I mean, there's actually a lot of content out there. I mean, I mean, it's the internet today, right? I mean, whatever you, whatever you can think of, most is already thought of for the most part. So really, it's, I mean, a big part of is going out and being able to find good resources to help develop what you want. So we took some stuff in the house, uh, augmented that with things available online. Even Microsoft has some phenomenal training out there. They went through a certification process, had people actually go through to their manager and show they mastered the skills. So, you know, you can give people a link or a course, say, hey, go watch this, go look at this. But you know what happens? They put it in a side window and they play solitaire. Uh, so we actually went to the next step of, you know, yes, take the training, but you have to go through and certify and prove you've actually mastered the key skills. That's an important part of that. So my day job, I'm I'm a banker. Okay. And so I, I come alongside and I serve entrepreneurs and I talk to them, obviously, you know, dealing with cybersecurity and it's more on the fraud side um, from the financial perspective. But I tell every single one of them, it's not if you're going to get hacked or if you're going to have a breach, it's when. Yes. And how, how, did, how do you protect yourself? Because it's a huge pain in the butt to change accounts and to do all this, and that, and the other. But you can do simple things to protect yourself. I mean, there's... Yeah. Yeah. Even if you don't use us, right. there's a lot of ways to have great security without spending a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, I deal with you know, medium, large enterprises that have care about security a lot, want to spend the money accordingly. So a lot of people just aren't fits for me because they're too small. They can't afford it, but still a ton of stuff you can do. 
uh, very inexpensively that make a massive difference, as you said. So uh, out of curiosity, so are y'all, you're bringing everybody back home to, to work in the office. Are you 100% back? And- uh, I never left. Uh, but for a couple of months I was here by myself in like 35,000 square foot building and everyone is uh, finally coming back on May the 10th and so I've been communicating to everybody like hey at some point we're going to come back you know but I'll make sure we can do it safely and what's interesting is when you look at all the different viewpoints that people have you know, it really comes down to risk tolerance. You have a set of people who their opinion is it's very high risk. Another set of opinions is very low risk. I wish people could, could view it that way. There's not anybody disagrees on the facts. Well, there are some fact disagreements, but in general, it's, there's people that are low risk and high risk. And, you know, just to respect those perspectives. I mean, you, you can't see the person is right or wrong. They just view it differently. And so I've tried to be very understanding of that, even though I'm probably fairly high risk individual overall. Uh, but hey, I've had both vaccine. I've had, you know, my two shots. So, you know, everybody's all over the place. And I said, hey, when we can have vaccines and we get to a point where there's no lines for vaccines, then I'm going to wait two weeks after that and we're back to normal. Bizarre. So as you're as you're getting ready to bring your your people back, I mean, have you you said you, you've statistically you're going to have people on both sides of the spectrum. Correct. Yeah, yes. mm-hmm. So so how, how are you how are you talking through them? Because, I mean, the, the just in what you said, how you run your business, you're not going to allow the the anecdotal evidence to dictate how you run business. You're going to so, demand that they be here. So, so one, when everything first started, like you know, I had, you know, uh, I started looking at the data early on from out of Wuhan even. And I was like, all right. So I'm like, you know what? There's enough here that I'm not sure about yet. I don't have enough data that I feel 100% comfortable. I don't know that I trust the data out of Wuhan. So I'm like, all right, so I'm going to be over conservative. So I shut things down pretty quickly. So, hey, everybody, we're going to, we're going to remote. Uh, and I said, hey, if you get sick, I'll pay for your, all your stuff. Don't worry about it. You're going to be in full salary. First thing I did was try to establish stability. Like, hey, guys, you, it's changing world. People are afraid of change. I'm not one of them, but a lot of people are. Uh, you know, and be good what's going to happen. So I tried to basically establish kind of stability immediately. Like, you're going to have a job. You're going to get paid. If you get sick, we'll take care of it. So thank you. know, And everybody's there. I communicated constantly. Update some people. You're like, hey, here's, here's what we're going to do. Here, here's the, the rules. We're going to be pretty conservative because uh, I know there's, there's a wide degree of viewpoints about this. So we're going to try to be very accepting of every viewpoint. So, you know, we're going to wait for a while. So, hey, you can come back now, but it's completely voluntary. If you don't feel safe, you're worried about your parents or your kids or whatever, work from home. We're not going to do anything. Said, so, but hey, realize at some point uh, when it's appropriate to do so, we're going to come back. So, I mean, a year ago, I mean, I started setting expectations like, hey, yeah. we're going to stay. Yeah. Do it safe for you and your family. We're going to be very conservative. Uh, we're not going to force somebody to do anything they're not comfortable with. But at some point, that's going to change. And uh, so, you know, that way, like, there's no surprise to anybody. And then, you know, as it started, you know, in the last year, hey, vaccines are coming. Hey, guys, at some point, we're going to have vaccines. And at some point, everybody that wants a vaccine is about to get one. And at that point, uh, either if you're afraid of COVID, then you should get a vaccine because the efficacy rate is very, very high. If you're afraid of the vaccine, then don't get a vaccine. And just choose to accept that risk. And I'm fine with that too. Yeah. So, but, you know, if there's people out there that hey, you're afraid of the vaccine, you're afraid of COVID, then this is probably not going to be a good fit for you moving forward. Yeah. So, Robert, is there is there something that is going on within your industry that you've seen like a, a shift or a change and like an industry trend that's, that's moving away? And then how are you positioning Critical Start to capitalize on that? So I think there's two aspects. There's uh, my industry and there's trends overall. So when you look at my industry, you know, the number of people working remotely 
has actually been helpful. Because when you think about uh, cybersecurity, uh, historically, it's been a lot of people working in buildings with a few employees remote. So a lot of the companies that were customers or prospects were maybe uh, you know, 80, 90% you know, working from an office of some type and maybe 10, 20% working from home. Overnight, that shifted. Yeah. And yeah. when you look at cybersecurity, it was designed, implemented in a way with that kind of percentage in mind that most of our people, most of our assets, information that we're protecting are going to be in some type of office that we control. When you flip that on its head, uh, it, it actually makes being able to uh, move security to the endpoint to the employee, no matter where they are, whether it's at home, hotel, a Starbucks, uh, really important. So the it actually, I think, accelerated demand for the type of services we do, which is kind of managed uh, detection of attacks uh, for employees and organizations, no matter where they are. Mm-hmm. We're going to roll right now and have a break and hear a message from our sponsor. From what I gathered, what you just said there is that it sounds like it, it made it easier then on how you're, you're, you're managing that or is, did I, did I take that wrong? It, uh, it doesn't make it easier for us. It really uh, didn't make it easier or harder for us. It uh, made it easier to acquire customers. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Yeah. Because <laughs> everybody, everybody sees, oh my goodness, you know, I've got eight people at five different Starbucks and none of the networks are secure and we got confidential client information flying back and forth. So, yeah. uh, Robert, we, we need to make sure that this doesn't get out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, totally. Something, uh, if you look at SaaS metrics, uh, a great episode for you guys at some point to do uh, in the future is uh, customer acquisition cost is critical uh, metric for evaluation for organizations. Yeah. Well, and so that leads us into the next question, which is, what's your big, hairy, audacious goal for Critical Start? This industry changes so rapidly. When you start talking about five and six-year goals, I struggled to see how planning outside more than 18 months is even possible. I mean, I I could build a spreadsheet and drag and drop to the right six years out. Uh, How relevant it would be, I don't know. Um, (laughs) But I mean, overall, when you kind of look at the uh, you know, kind of mission of the company. It's we want to uh, be able to uh, stop breaches for our clients by uh, detecting, responding to cybersecurity attacks. Uh, so, so the vision long term is I want to be the most effective at doing that. That means I want to be the one that can detect the most attacks. I can do it the quickest. I can respond the fastest. And one thing we've actually shifted this year is I want to be number one in providing improving value, which sounds very, very simple. But for anyone that listens to this conversation, you think that's simple, challenge your organization, every interaction with the customer, define the value being provided in that interaction. Is it adding value? Okay. And if it's adding value, all right, it's like if a uh, you know, tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, did it really happen? If you're providing value, you can't prove it to the customer, it doesn't exist. And you know, so if you can provide it, that's great. How are you proving to the customer uh, the value they're receiving? And if you want a, a good example of this, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, he wrote his last shareholder letter this month, and it's the you know letters to shareholders. And he actually talks about you know the value that he believes Amazon is providing to the various stakeholders. And it's a, it's a wonderful read, and I would highly recommend people you know take a look at that and think about hey, how can you provide improved value and challenge every aspect of your organization to define what that means, how to improve upon it, and how to prove it to the customer. And if you do that, you're going to get better retention. Uh, you're going to have higher uh, you know. Uh, revenue, you're going to have shorter sell cycles and better win rates. Well, you hear heard it first here, Ags. Provide and prove value with every customer interaction. All right, Robert, you've already dropped so many value bombs in this episode. And I mean, I, I, 
I wish you could see all the notes that, that I'm writing down. But real quickly, as, as we roll into our lightning round, what's your favorite hack? Is this either a personal hack, a business hack? What's something that you do that we can learn from you? People spend a lot of time figuring out what type of people to hire. I want people that are passionate and driven, all these other, other things. That's great. I spend more time trying to figure out what not to hire. Avoiding hiring toxic people for me, and this is a little bit provocative, I don't hire people who are victims, which I define as anyone that can never take blame or take accountability for their role in a problem. No matter when something goes wrong, they point fingers, they CIA, they don't focus on solving the problem. And I don't hire snowflakes, which are people that when confronted with a dissenting opinion or viewpoint from somebody else, uh, treats it with hostility, anger, disdain, versus curiosity. And I don't hire politicians, people that in every interaction, are looking for a way to position themselves in a way that uh, helps them personally uh, versus being authentic and being able to uh, really say what they feel in order to have you know authentic uh, conversations with high integrity. Nice. Love it. So next question, what is one book, podcast, or YouTube channel, whatever, that you get a lot of value out of? Maybe a little different. Uh, Noel Rochetta has a podcast called uh, Secular Buddhism. It's a uh, non-religious, uh, non-theistic approach to uh, Buddhism really about kind of accepting realities that he is, uh, observing things without judgment, just as a way to experience life in a better way. And the whole thing is, you know, how can you be a, a better version, the best version of yourself? That is so, again, it's one of those things, easier said than done. Yes, you know, I, everyone, <laughs> everyone's like, yes, I, I definitely want to be more open. I want to be more caring. I, I want to be, I, I want to hear what you have to say until it goes against what I think is right. And then to have the courage to be like, all right, let's hear you out. And let maybe I'll learn something. Well, Robert, we know the value of the Aggie Network has been, you know, really prevalent in my career and Chris's career, and I know yours. Is there someone in the Aggie Network that you just want to say thank you to and give a shout out? For me, all the Aggies that work for me now. I mean, a lot of Aggie employees: uh, Ricky Allen, Tara Davis, Chris Ocker, uh, Mitch and Bowles, Tommy Scott, Katie Litzkow, and, and many others uh, that work here have contributed and. You know, continue to, to bring in other Aggies that have really made a big difference in the organization. Awesome. Love it. So how can the Aggie Network get in touch with you and support you moving forward? Very simple. Uh, my email address is very complex. It's rob.davis at criticalstart.com. And pretty much any variation of that will work as well. Uh, so if you get in contact with me, I like to help people. But you know, usually if you want a response, uh, who are you? Uh, what do you want? And why will I be interested? And and from what from what I heard, you know, as you are growing and continuing to to lead Critical Start, having and hiring the right people. So if you are not a victim, not a snowflake, and not a politician, <laughs> and you're looking for a job, then definitely reach out. To send them. me a resume. <laughs> and, and attach the resume <laughs> as to <laughs> as to why you should care. Well, Robert, thank you so much for these these gold nuggets of leadership and just kind of sharing your thoughts and what it takes to, to grow a fast-growing Aggie-owned and Aggie-run company. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, if there's anything that we can do, please let us know. But Ags, and seriously, check out Robert, check out uh, Critical Start. And if you are a business, if you're an entrepreneur, and you have and you deal with any type of sense of data, you seriously need to do it because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you're gonna get an attack. So thanks so much, Robert. Really appreciate right. it. Hey, thanks. Giggum. Boop. How about that, Ags? I had to duck and cover because of all the value bombs that Robert brought. There were some valuable hacks that Robert shared with us. What was your favorite, Greg? Oh, Chris, I say this every time, but there was so many of them. Uh, literally, <laughs> yeah. as, as we were recording, I, I've got a 
page and a half full of notes. But the thing that I think the number one, if I've got to narrow it down to number one, it is when he talked about providing and proving value with every customer interaction. Mm. In today's society where we have very short attention spans and we expect instant gratification, you know, I call it the Amazon effect, you know, the one click and it's going to be here in two hours. You know, as entrepreneurs, we need to make sure that we are bringing value above and beyond what service or product that we provide. You know, unless, unless you're in a very specific market, a lot of the things that we do is commodity. So Robert talking with his team and making sure that they, de- that they prove and they define the value every single time they talk to a customer, every single time yeah. that really, you know, that allows them to constantly say, here's why I'm a good partner. Here's why it's worth you paying me in order to, to help you. And every single time, it's about getting a fair value and a fair exchange. So I, that really spoke to my heart. And uh, I really appreciated him being so open and honest with that. What about you, Chris? What what was your number one that well, you took take away? One, I, I agree with you, obviously. But and there, there's so many. I, I mean, I, I have like 15 things written down here. My number one, I would have to say the, the where he talked about collaboration versus communication, right? Yeah. How you know, everyone got used to doing Zoom meetings, but there was very little collaborating going on, right? And I think he hit the nail on the head right there of, of exactly what we're missing right now during our COVID shutdown period in time and in history. It's, it's just amazing to me that something as simple as going into an office and having face-to-face interactions can really lead to a much more productive aspect to our businesses and the way that we run everything. So I got to go with that. Uh, my number two, right? Don't hire snowflakes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Who not to hire? What, what, what snowflakes, uh, well, snowflakes, victims, snowflakes, victims, politicians. Politicians. Yes. yes right. <laughs> that was, love that it. Really love it. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for another episode of Aggie Growth Hacks. We hope that you enjoyed it and that you'll leave us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam, Wherever you find us, hopefully it'll be a four or five. That way you'll allow us to get Aggie Growth Hacks out there to more ags and more entrepreneurs. Be sure to check out our website at aggiegrowthhacks.com where you can hear all of our previous episodes, great, great interviews with other entrepreneurs. You can connect with us. And also while you're there, make sure you check out our monthly hack shops where we tackle some of the biggest challenges entrepreneurs are having. We talk to an expert and have a deep dive with actionable advice on how how to work through some of those issues. Aggie Growth Hacks was produced by fellow Aggies, Kyle Ackerman and Ben Wiggins with Podcast Architects. We want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M University. Since 1999, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship has served as the hub of entrepreneurship for Texas A&M. If you're an Aggie entrepreneur or even a wantrepreneur, head over to their website to find a program that's right for you. Just search up McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship in Google and head on over there now or go to our website at aggiegrowthhacks.com and click on their logo, which, by the way, is in our website. Join us next time when we connect with another great Aggie entrepreneur and learn how they hack their growth. Till then, I'm Chris Hunter. And I'm Greg Martin. Thanks and gig them. Whoop!